light shining individually, collectively transforming community, peace in our human family. So below, feel the pain in my soul, the rep he'll dissolve Organize, no matter the cost Politicians start wars, they don't fight, they sit in the poor And nothing lasts forever as long as we stay together Give help to the masses, watch the unity rapture This is for the kids and the culture It's one love, one growth, one light, light warriors Hey everyone, up here in the Dillard USA and all the other worlds. How is everybody doing today? Doing all right. <laughs> oh crap! What was that? I'm doing good. I don't know what. Maybe it was like the feedback from my mic because I don't think I was muted. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, I have Kiana and Jason Ortiz here today, and this is going to be freaking exciting. Um, I have a few questions from my email list uh, with people that have questions about marijuana, so that's going to be dope, but we'll definitely get to y'all questions. Um, but first of all, what I wanted to do to start off this podcast, uh, you already, you guys already met Kiana before, um, and this, this is Jason Ortiz's time right here. Um, so let's introduce both of y'all again, actually, um, starting off with Jason and then Kiana. Great. So my name is Jason Ortiz. I'm currently the executive director of Students for Sensible Drug Policy, SSDP.org, uh, which is the world's largest youth-led student activist uh, network specifically dedicated to ending the war on drugs. And we're in 30 different countries and over 100 different chapters here in the States. Uh, I also just left the position as the president of the Minority Cannabis Business Association, which is a not-for-profit trade association that seeks to get folks of color into the industry as owners, employees, and as consumers all three of those. Uh, and so with all that experience, I was one of the activists in Connecticut that helped draft HB 6377, uh, which was the more progressive labor-oriented bill introduced by Representative Robin Porter, uh, that many elements of it did get incorporated in the final bill. And I'm sure we'll talk about those details. But otherwise, I live in Hartford, Connecticut, uh, grew up in New London and Norwich, and probably heading back to Southeastern Connecticut pretty soon. Thank you, Jason. Awesome. My name is Kiana. Um, I also go by Key. I use she, her, they, them pronouns. Um, so I'm a mental health worker, a spiritualist, um, and I just call myself a cannabis advocate for right now. Um, and I'm hoping to start my own uh, cannabis business. Um, so I basically work at the intersections of spirituality, herbalism, um, holistic health and cannabis. Um, and so it's kind of about uh, looking at cannabis as a medicinal herb and also as a spiritual herb. Um, <clears throat> and I kind of got into cannabis after my grandma and aunt passed away from cancer. Um, and then I got a couple chronic illnesses, which uh, required me to be able to medicate uh, freely to help with that. Um, and so now I am a retired mental health worker, <laughs> I guess for now. <laughs> Uh, I met Jason a couple years ago at my school because uh, he did a, uh, I believe it was a documentary with NPR for Puerto Rico. And then I found out he was the cannabis guy and I was like, oh, yay. So uh, that's pretty much it. And I do, so I do attend meetings for students with a uh, sensible drug policy as well with Jason. So. Uh, 
Thank, thank you both for coming out um, and being on this podcast. Uh, this is so important right now. I think this is like one of the discussions that needs to be had 24-7, especially when we're talking about colonialism and, and all the effects of post-colonialism and everything. Um, this all intertwines. Uh, the, the, the crime bill is a racist bill. <laughs> and it's, it's a part of America's fabric, um, which is why... It's such a big deal, um, but I'm pretty sure you guys are going to go to more details about that. And for, for one question that um, the e- someone asked me on the email um, is uh, about how why is it so important to advocate for uh, marijuana to be legal? And do do does that mean that we should always also advocate for all drugs to be legal? I'm pretty sure we already have an answer to that as well. But um, that's just a question they want to ask. So if um, Nobody you go first if you go second, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Whoever speaks first. <laughs> I always grab the mic whenever someone gives me the chance. <laughs> and I feel right. like I, I owe it to my communities to take advantage of the platforms, right? And so right. uh it's it, it's important to always be advocating for less chance that our people are gonna be put in cages, right? I'll, I'll put it broadly like that first, because the details of what we're actually advocating for matter a lot. And if we're not grounded in the fact that we're trying to get people out of cages because they're currently in cages because some people don't like the plants we like, pretty ridiculous when you just think of it at, at its core, mm-hmm. right? So right. that's that's the, the we're, we're starting in a ridiculous space, right? The environment we're organizing in is constantly waging violence against our own communities, and we're trying to remove one version of that violence to make it a little bit more possible for folks to fight back. On top of that, right, so there's the ending, the negative repercussions of prohibition. And yes, I do agree, all drugs. And we can talk about how prohibition doesn't work for mental health services or to provide people with any kind of rehabilitative programs. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's just flatly how it is with all drugs. And that's true of cannabis. Cannabis just happens to be the one where the most people in like a sheer number are incarcerated over. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so by reducing cannabis arrests, you reduce the vast majority of arrests, generally speaking. Uh, They're not necessarily always the harshest sentences, though. And so when you think about folks that are serving many, many years, it is different than folks that are maybe in there for six months. But there's a thousand people in there for six months. Right. And so there's a lot of different types of folks that have to interact with the criminal justice system. So we have to be constantly advocating in every element of our lives that the criminal justice system is trying to steal our people from. That is, you know, child protective services and making sure our families aren't disrupted because folks don't like the plants that we like, making sure that things like employment are fair over which plants you decide to engage with in your free time, Uh, educational opportunities, right? We just saw what happened uh, when it comes to the Olympics and athletics, right? And so there are a thousand different collateral consequences of the war on drugs that we want to make sure we're talking about all of those. So when we say we're advocating for legalization, it's really important what we are in our hearts understanding that word to mean, uh, because this came up very clearly when it came to the legalization debate at the state capitol that rich white men define that term very differently than how Ooh. we would. Yes. <laughs> oh yes <laughs> all facts from Jason <laughs> but um, also I want to add on to that so I'll say like when people do ask that question of like why advocate um, why is it so important I, I try to put it in perspective is that like talking about cannabis is more about 
than just smoking cannabis. Like I believe that cannabis and cannabis policy is it's a disability justice issue. Um, it's a racial justice issue and it's a public health issue in terms of we got to think about uh, where our society is at right now in terms of we've just, um, you know, the pandemic isn't fully over, even though we're we're celebrating that it is over. But we just got out of a global pandemic. Um, we live in very, I would say, traumatic times in terms of we're constantly um, bombarded by traumatic images with police, police brutality, all these different things. Um, and things that the body is not used to, you know, uh, the body hasn't adjusted uh, to being exposed to that many images um, of violence and trauma and all of those things. And also we're experiencing it in workplaces, um, at home, all these things. And so I say uh, the stress when people say, uh, why do people medicate every day? I say the stress that people live with every day is natural too. And so now we've seen, um, you know, the opioid crisis and, and people, you know, are now like, oh my God, drugs. But the thing is stigma and um, criminalization hurts more than it helps because what we're really doing is we're criminalizing people with disabilities. We're criminalizing right. people with mental health issues. Uh, mm -hmm. We're criminalizing people who are coming from traumatic backgrounds. Um, and so really that's, that's the whole point is that criminalizing these people instead of helping them is not helping at all. Um, that's, that's a little bit what I gotta say. And one thing, just to put it back to the sort of the colonial context you mentioned earlier is that we're incarcerating them so some people can get rich, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not because we actually want anyone to be safe or no, not that the folks doing the incarcerating want anyone to be safer or that the policy has proven to be effective or that it's something that came from our communities, right? Like this is 100%, so some rich white men can get richer. And right. so the scale of the suffering that has happened in order to accomplish that goal, you know, is exactly what we really need to make sure in our heart of hearts we're trying to end, right? Because that it is a very colonial relationship and, you know, slavery and how they were able to get exceptions into the abolition of slavery, specifically for those that were incarcerated, um, you know, and then it just happened to be shortly thereafter that the cannabis becomes illegal. You know, it wasn't by accident that all of these things happen around, you know, 30, 40 years of each other. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's that's so true. And um, one last thing I'll do is quick shout yeah. out to Dr. Noxia. She told me the phrase, Shout's the intellectual out. property that cannabis companies are operating of right now was developed by slaves farming hemp on stolen native land. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. 100%. So the hemp, surprised. Wow. The, the hemp that was grown in the United States by our forefathers, right? Like literally like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson mm -hmm. and shit like that was on stolen mm -hmm. native land. And who do you think farmed that hemp? It wasn't the white boys, right? Nope. It was the slaves. And so over yep. time, they develop intellectual property, right? That makes it mm -hmm. able to be produced in a certain way that it develops whatever products they need, right? And so mm -hmm. when we really look all the way back, Right of how who owned all of this and how this all went down. Uh, the connections to colonialism are pretty intense. <laughs> oh, so intense, so intense, and it's 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 embedded into our culture to the point where you don't even realize that you're supporting it just because you haven't looked <laughs> yeah. into it and you're just saying what you heard, what your parents mm -hmm. told you, and stuff like that. Whole mindset in the '80s 
um i like to use that term because in the 80s that's when i, I saw that it was like the, i wasn't born but what i read in the 80s is what i saw was like, you're old. Like, stay away from that <laughs> stay away from that it's evil i'm sorry jc didn't mean to make it <laughs> i was it's born evil. in the 80s it wasn't that bad no way <laughs> <laughs> um and, and and that and also so the, the next question is um what is what is about the bill that can be fixed if you guys know and what is about the bill that should be in there that's not in there if i worded that so the correctly. first question was what can or what can't so let's re- let me reword it sorry <laughs> what what is in the bill uh that should be replaced mm. um, what is the issue with the bill um and for instance um it's a question that I that they just literally wrote a paragraph, so I try to shorten it for you. Um, but, but basically, <laughs> I, know, I guess they're saying like, well, this is what we proposed. Like for instance, Robin Porter proposed proposed, and what was taken out that would actually be beneficial. Um, like, what's what's wrong in. with the bill that should be put back in yet? All right, so we got what an hour for this thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, so, knew just, I knew it was a loaded question. I'm like, I yo, like a lot, a lot. Go read it right now. So but let's just highlight. Let's do highlights because I have other questions. Sure. So let's do highlights of it. <laughs> sure. I mean, and I'll start with the good stuff, right? Just so so okay. folks know that it's not all doom and gloom. That when you do fight, you do win some things, right? And so right. we did win home growth for all, right? It doesn't start till 2023 for everybody. Um, but we got home growth for patients to start in 2021, actually October 1st. So anyone that does have a medical card will be able to grow six plants in their house, uh, upwards of 12 if there's two patients in the house. And that is something that we could speed up, right? Like we could definitely get next session for home growth for everybody to kick in faster. We did get our native tribes included. We did get protections for students and parents. Specifically, no one under the age of 18 will be arrested in Connecticut for cannabis possession at all, ever. Uh, So we think, right, like the moment we we see the first black or brown person that gets arrested, we have some fighting to do about it. Right. But as far as legislation goes, it is in there. Right. And uh, labor peace agreements and jobs programs using the equity funds for those with criminal histories did get in there. Now, the number one thing that we have to change is the inclusion of those with criminal histories in the social equity programs. This was something that we did get amended in at the last minute. And, you know, shout out to Senator Gary Winfield for doing the right thing, even though I knew it was going to be difficult, but making sure that we made an effort to make sure they were included. Um, and so that did get put in in the amend in the Senate side during the special session. And the governor threatened to veto the entire legalization bill because it included people with criminal histories in the social equity programs. So here we have home grow, lots of money put into the equity programs, the social equity council. So they use the word equity, right? Like in all parts of this bill, sprinkled it all over the place, but failed to understand the core point of equity which is making sure that we're giving back to those who were harmed by the war on drugs and giving them the opportunity to benefit from the legal cannabis market. That means the people that got caught for selling weed and thrown in prison for selling weed should have assistance and support and at minimum access to being able to sell weed in the legal market. Right. And for whatever reason, the governor just refused to acknowledge that the people he deems as criminals never should have been made criminals to begin with. It was a bad policy and it was a racist policy and he refused to accept that. So if I had to put number one, that is definitely number one, right? As far as 
we got a lot of other periphery stuff in that was really good. And mm -hmm. there's lots of financial things that are good. But if we're not including our folks with criminal histories, allowing people out of jail, then we're missing the point. Facts. Facts. Yeah, that's exactly what I, <laughs> what I was trying to, like, get across with that question. Um, because um, that's just, just fucked up, honestly. And a lot of it's real fucked up. And, yeah. and how they convinced black and brown people to support it in a short sense, right? So this happened really quickly. Uh, but I think it's important for folks to see how the state and those in positions of power can pervert people's emotions, right? Even yeah. good people that I really respect uh, to accomplish really nefarious ends. So the timing of this is on a Tuesday, the amendment got put in and there's going to be a vote on Wednesday in the House to pass the bill. Right. So it's going to be less than 24 hours between okay. the two. So the speed at which we have to get communications out becomes, you know, really difficult. Uh, but the amendment gets in and the Senate passes it roughly, say, 5 p.m. Right. The governor threatens the veto at 6 p.m., planning for a vote Monday or the next day. Right. So we're actually looking at maybe more like 14 hours away from the, the House opening. So within that time, they claimed that the amendment to include those with a criminal history was going to benefit rich white kids from Yale and Wesleyan who happened to get a weed charge. And so in that moment, they pushed this narrative out and there were progressive elective, not elected officials, but progressive uh, activists in the space that said, Oh, the governor is right. We shouldn't allow these kids to be able to access these equity programs. The idea that inclusion of criminal history somehow benefits the wealthy is to ignore the fact that the wealthy don't get arrested, right? Like we have to remind everyone, and, and even though on the left and the progressive folks, we may have disdain for Yale students or Wesleyan students, right? And they played to that, right? Mm -hmm. They played to our disdain for the upper classes, but used it in a way to deny our own people opportunity. And so this was something that in the moment, honestly, I was like, wow, that is some messaging. Right. And I didn't really know how to respond immediately, nor did I have the capacity to reach people fast enough, because what was happening was as soon as he said that the votes internally started to crumble. And this is a whole big mess. Right. You need 76 votes to pass this thing. They had exactly 76 at the end of the day. So now all these internal people of color say, no, I'm not supporting it. And we started to lose all these votes. So the question is, do you let the whole thing die over it or not? Uh, but the, the big thing here, though, is that folks were tricked. Uh, and so I just want folks on the left to really, you know, apply some critical thinking to what happened in that moment, because mm -hmm. people with criminal histories got shafted. And there were a lot of le leftist progressive folks that said, like, this is the first time that I, had, I agree with Dan Lamont and all this stuff. Right. When literally like myself and Robin are like, no, don't. This is not <laughs> what you think. And so people who had disdain for Yale and Wesleyan rich kids, like that trumped their trust in me and Robin that we were doing the right thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and like mm -hmm. in, in a policy sense, right. It was literally the same language the governor had in his bill previously about including those with criminal histories. It was his language that we pulled. That's why we pulled it. Right. Cause we were like, unlikely he's going to oppose his own language. Uh, and he did <laughs> not only did he oppose it, he literally threatened to veto the bill over it. And so 
Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so in that moment, it's really hard to explain the nuance of what is happening, right? Like in a Facebook post. And, right. you know, I did my best and, you know, try to crack some jokes of like, haha, these cats think people get arrested at Yale, right? The other thing is, <laughs> we all know who at Wesleyan or Yale would get arrested. Right. It's going to be the poor black or brown kid that happened to squeak into the school and is making some noise and is a troublemaker and also likes weed. So, yeah, yeah the kids that did get arrested at Wesleyan and Yale probably should get included because it's not the rich kids from George Bush's family that are going to yeah. end up with that arrest. It's the Kiana that like, wow, I made it into Yale. This is going to be wild. And then she's the one that gets arrested, just like the young African-American woman at Yale got caught with a pipe and got thrown out. Right. So, like. Yeah. There was, but I, it's really difficult to be like, yeah, but you know, like this, this, and this in, in less than 12 hours before the vote happens. Right. We don't have a TV station, you know, it's not like we can really go out and just like shut it all down. So it was a very tense moment, but that particular like six hours, right. How should we have responded? What could we have done differently? Could we, and this is the, the real point to what extent should, I hate that word, but should we had more centered the voices and experiences of those that were formerly incarcerated so that that line of attack would have been seemed more ridiculous, mm -hmm. right? That like people already had identified the folks that this particular policy would benefit. So when Lamont says something like that, they say, no, 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 no. This is like to help folks like Jamar and Lou and Kiana, right? But that that context wasn't there. Uh, and why wasn't it, right? We definitely did have formerly incarcerated folks part of our campaign the whole time. Uh, but for whatever reason, in this particular short moment, right? And it's not related to cast blame. It's more to understand how to do better. We lost the narrative war at the very last minute on a very important piece of policy uh, when up to that point we had been doing pretty good at the narrative and propaganda side of things, but we got caught at the end there of like, I don't even know like how to meme this. Right. right. And, and <laughs> in the end, you know, they got it pulled out. Uh, but that is definitely one that they could easily add back in. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, you know, with it, 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 it got done. And, you know, it's not going to be perfect. And I totally understand. <laughs> uh, but the whole thing with Ned Lamont, Jesus Christ, like, just, he literally just go back on his word. That's just hilarious. Um, that's that's y'all boy over there. Y'all like him. That's y'all. No, no, I'm not talking about y'all. <laughs> I'm not trying to be shady right now over that. But, uh, that is uh, not yeah. my boy. <laughs> we, we definitely ain't tight now. <laughs> like, after that last campaign, I wasn't subtle how I felt about his motives. Yeah. <laughs> is, is anybody getting expunged of, of their uh, their records? Are they doing a few people? Or none? that's another question that that was asked. Like, yeah. So it's it. You know, it's not a strong bill for expungements. I'll, I'll put it that way. But you mm -hmm. can, and and there's certain timelines where certain things kick in. I believe on July first, you can petition your course. You got to remember wherever it is that you got arrested in the state of Connecticut. Mm -hmm. You could position to get anything expunged immediately that is under eight ounces of possession, four ounces of sale, and six ounces, six, sorry, six plants of cultivation, I believe, uh, is what it is. So if you are somebody that got arrested for anything in that limit, 
you can go to your court right now and, and start the process of getting it erased. It gets a bit complicated depending on when it was because there are different classifications of drugs over the years, right? And so right. because the state of Connecticut shifts it, especially, I believe it was like mid-90s to 2015, they brought cannabis under controlled substances. And so there's not a differentiation in the system that you can just like control F for, right? You have to go through all the different files. But, you know, there were certain years where you could find it much easier. So it really depends what year you were caught. Um, if it was within the last, you know, more than seven years, you're going to have a pretty easy time expunging it anyway. But uh, yes, anything over that or heavy sales or heavy cultivation, no. Yeah, I just well, wanted to, oh, sorry. I just wanted ahead. to add, and Casey, you can correct me, but from my understanding, I know someone said, like, if you get charged federally, so if you're doing large sales and Connecticut charges you federally, you can't expunge that at all. So you right. still disqualifies you. So also with that bill passed, are people with records still allowed to, are they still not allowed to work in the industry too? So there's there's no prevention of running of working in the industry per se, like per the legislation. Right. There's still going to be discrimination. <laughs> like, and and yeah. I'll say that this bill plus the uh, clean slate bill that got passed does help quite a bit as far as if you do feel like you were discriminated against, you can have some, you know, restitution or process you can go to to maybe get a job back. But it's a job with somebody that's racist. I'm not sure they want that job back. Mm-hmm. So. People can still get a job in the industry, especially if our people own part of the industry, then we can hire whoever we want to hire. Uh, and I think that's the important part when it comes to working in the industry is not figuring out how we're going to by law make racist less racist, but making by law our piece of the pie bigger. Uh, and so anyone that has a criminal history, it won't be an automatic thing. But when it comes to the federal crime piece, yeah, like once you start getting a federal crime, no state law is going to be able to expunge your federal crime. Uh, you have to wait till the federal level legalization, which, you know, Schumer did just release his Senate bill. And, you know, I got, okay. I got feelings there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, eh. You know, like it's a bill. That was a question there. I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. It does include a lot of the MORE Act, but it also includes a lot of the pieces of the MORE Act that we want to change. It just felt like a bit of a lazy copy paste uh, for a, a, a few chunks of it. And the taxes are going to mm-hmm. be a lot. Um, and it's just still not as good as I would want it when it comes to criminal justice and reparations. And right. I think we need to have an actual truth and reconciliation commission formed around the war on drugs to be able to articulate and document the full scope of the damage done before we can really put any kind of number as to what is sufficient justice or sufficient reinvestment. Right. And so if we were to legalize at the federal level and they say, Oh, we'll give a billion dollars back to communities that were impacted by the war on drugs, that may be a drop in the bucket compared to the damage done by the war on drugs. Right. And so mm-hmm. until we're ready to have like a full reckoning with these conversations, it's really hard to quantify both damage done and like what is sufficient restitution. Uh, but it is something that naturally in society we do have precedent for. Right. If I crash into somebody's car and I hurt them, I may have to pay a bunch of money. Right. To help them get better. This is something right. that rich white people definitely understand. Right. Mm-hmm. And they know all about that. Right. So they should fully understand that in a legal sense, when their governments did massive amounts of damage to our communities, there should be restitution. 
right? It, yeah. It, yeah. It's funny how folks can really understand something in one context, and then when it's not convenient, just not be able to understand it in another. But yeah. you know, we'll we'll get there. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep telling them about it. <laughs> just a side note on that: um, America has received uh, reparations from World War II, um, and part oh, yeah? of the rep- part of that reparations was they was sending actual German scientists over to our labs and shit. Yeah. So, Oh, that's a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did. Yeah, I just wanted to. I just wanted to segue that because you can't talk about reparations. It's not possible. No, there it is possible. It's just that who the oh, fuck yeah. who the fuck wants it? Anything is <laughs> possible with the right political will. You know, like right, if you want right. to make it happen, we can make it happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like how this bill just happened, and yeah. you know, a lot of people thought that this was wasn't going to happen under Lamont because Lamont just sounded like he wasn't interested. Um, so I'm, I'm surprised. I'm not, I'm not. And, and, <laughs> well, it's hard to surprise me. I don't get surprised so easily when it comes to politics, but I'm, I'm surprised when it comes to this, like that he was able to actually like, well, you know, it wasn't that he, he didn't get it done. Let's be clear. Right. Yeah. Like the people of the state of Connecticut have been pushing exactly. for this for a very long time, created the space where he knew he had to at least give verbal support of it right which opened the door for us to come and really talk about the details but they were trying as much as they could every step of the way to make this a no a non-starter right the amount of policies and poison pills they put in there from the beginning like the slave masters clause in ownership Mm -hmm. right so let's be real we had to fight offense and defense simultaneously and we did and we got enough support where the public was behind it and the legislators knew generally speaking they were going to win votes by supporting this issue but most folks stepped away from the table when it came to the details. And so we had to keep the flamethrower on the details while also keeping the moderates on board to get the job done. Because while flawed as it is, continued criminalization of our communities is not better. Right. And so this is a classic sort of activism question, right, about whether or not you hold out for more or do you take the incremental change now. And there is no guarantee that if we waited a year or two years that we get a better bill. It's possible we get a worse bill. We could get a Republican governor. We could get a Republican legislature. Right Right. now, we have all three branches of government or the House, the Senate and the uh, governor's seat. So it's likely we're going to lose one of those in the next wave of elections. And so while folks may you know, from their armchairs, be able to say we could have done more of this or got better this and that. The the reality is, is that there is opportunity cost for waiting. Right. And so uh, it was, but it was always a question, (laughs) right? Like the whole time, should we tank it? Because we went back and forth many different times of like, no, we're going to kill it. We're going to kill the whole Mm -hmm. thing. This is dead because we're going to kill it too. Nope. This is a great bill now. Right. We're all going to push it. And then, nope, nope. Back again. We're going to kill it again because they kept (laughs) changing the fucking bill. Uh, and so when you start introducing, so that was the other thing with all of this, right? We're fighting the whole year, fighting in January, fighting in February, fighting in March. And they're like, well, we're going to come out with new language. Don't worry. We're going to fix it. We're going to come out with new language. We're going to fix it. Oh, okay, cool. Cool. Like, where's the language for us? (laughs) Where is it? It's March already. Like, I don't want to wait forever for this. No, don't worry. We're going to fix it. We're going to fix it. Okay. Then they come out with this more bad language. Oh, we're going to fix that too. We're going to fix it. All right. Now we're in April, still waiting for it to get fixed. We have our 420 rally, still waiting for it to get fixed. We get into May, still waiting, right? It was (laughs) June 6th, I believe. It was it was early June when he released his bill at 11 p.m. on a Saturday night with the plan to vote on it in the Senate on Monday. Wow. 
right? And so <laughs> then, then to say that, like, oh, they're so upset. People had last minute amendments. It's like the most disingenuous debate I've like ever been a part of, right? <laughs> Where all like nobody hides language they're proud of, right? Nobody hides a bill that they're like, this is the greatest bill I ever written, but nobody gets to see it. Right. Until you have to vote on it, because you might like it so much that you just vote real hard. Right. It was just such a ridiculous, you know, timeline that we had to deal with there. And, you know, yet people like the attitudes of their reps were just like, oh, this is totally fine. (laughs) You know, this is how we do things here. And it was just I just didn't realize that, like, incompetence can be uh, an excuse for like so long. He's the majority leader of the House of Representatives. Right. Like he's not just a random person or a staffer. Right. He's second in command in the Democratic Party in the House. And he got to hand in his book report like two weeks late and half done. Right. It was just so, so absurd to me. And that's where a lot of times I got very frustrated with these folks that we allow incompetence to dictate policy. Right. That like because they say policy is hard, that they don't have to be democratic about it. Right. Like it was just a very uh, strange. Right. Because also COVID made it where we couldn't physically go in the building, which is another tricky part of all of this. Uh, so I couldn't just roll up on them <laughs> like we normally would. Uh, and and they used that to great effect. You know, they, they left us very little time um, to actually debate the merits of the language. Uh, and so I had to resort to like rhetoric all the time. Right. And just, you know, say how I feel about it and encourage everybody else. Just flame people. Right. If they don't want to if they don't want to be transparent, well, then we just have to attack, 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 attack until, you know, they crack. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) That's the only way. Make them uncomfortable. Yeah. And I did my, you know, we used memes and videos and and Robin (laughs) was so strong. You know what I mean? Like to be 100 percent clear. Right. It was Robin. It was a representative Ann Hughes. David Michelle, Ryan Winkler, right? These are the folks that were like in there fighting a lot, <laughs> like every day, That's especially awesome. during the special session. Yeah, Robin Porter is always one of my favorite people in the world, and Gary Winfield. Like, yep. every time I see them, I just and so and, <laughs> and they did their thing. You know, like I gotta give them hundred percent props. Like they did what they could, but you know, they're one of hundred and fifty in the house, right. and one of you know, you know, sixty senators. Right, yeah. right. I, I mean, I mean, like, so, all right, just a little, just a segue, because I, I'll, this is not an important question. No one should be calling, no one should be shouting off their dealers or asking for weed sales on Facebook <laughs> at, at any time soon, right? Please no. don't do that, right? I mean, probably never, oh. ever, right? Like, so, <laughs> um, so, um, this, this is a good conversation. I want to have this about, you know, the, the unlicensed activities. So, yeah. There have been some amazing Craft Cannabis Alliance events, right, that I think folks should check out. Uh, Using the Internet and documenting your illegality is never smart, right? That being said, those that are interested in the economic side of cannabis legalization, regardless if it's licensed or not, that activity is going to be increasing. uh, Or at least there will be more safe forums for folks to be able to engage in that together as a group rather than it being everybody sort of on their own, which is better, right? It's better for everyone. It means quality is going to be better. It means folks will treat each other better, right? Like it's just uh, a more mutually supportive space when we're able to do things like that. And and it's happening, 
right? And I'm sure at some point they'll happen in Hartford and they'll happen in New London. And this is what happened in D.C. when they passed legalization in D.C., but then Congress blocked it. So what ended up happening was the criminal penalties went away, but there's no licensing structure. And so folks were just creating pop-ups and just, you know, engaging in economic activity with each other, regardless if it was legal or not. The same way we've been doing it for 100 years, right, or thousands of years. I really should say when it comes to selling drugs like that has been going on since the day we found flowers. Right. And so I think I think. Folks should be thinking about their brand and how to run a business and how to, you know, make sure your profit and losses make sense. Right. Because folks that have been trapping, we have to step our game up. But like we're in a good spot to step our game up. And so I don't want folks to think no business plan should be put in motion yet. Right. That is not the case. You should definitely be doing that advertising it on a digital means that's a private forum that police constantly use to catch people up is not smart, right? Start thinking about what kind of smart economics, talking to people you know, right? And figuring out how do we specialize? How do I make one person is the person that does the baking, I make the extractions and we have an operation, right? Like that kind of economics we could be talking about. Who else makes sense to be a part of our supply chain, right? That's how the big boys think about these kind of things. So the more that when we're smoking together, we're like, okay, let's talk supply chain, right? And not just what strain we like. That's when we start to get into the driver's seat. Mm. You can also talk about strain you want, but, you know. <laughs> I'll also definitely add in, like, I I vended the first event uh, we had, and I went to the second event, but only for the last half an hour. And my first, um, I would say my first entry into cannabis was through the craft market in Massachusetts. Um, and, and so from what has happened in Massachusetts, uh, um, and I, I used to vend for a, a company uh, that made infused food. And so I'll, at one point, Massachusetts, because of the sessions were so were happening so much, uh, they started raiding sessions. And so that is one thing that we do need to think about because also there is devastating loss in raiding sessions, especially a lot of craft um, craft businesses, they're mom and pop businesses, uh, and you will lose your product and you will lose your money. Um, I, I know from my grower in Massachusetts, uh, he talked about people were in debt 10,000, thousands of dollars because, uh, the, you know, once you get raided, they take everything and you don't get it back. Um, and so you can lose thousands of dollars in um, product just like this. Um, I think with the the craft cannabis is that the alliance, DEA? Is that, I'm sorry to cut you off, but is that the DEA that does the raid? Just to be clear on who's who's I'm, it's the federal, right? I'm not 100 percent sure. I think it was DEA that did the raid, and it was sad because, um, and this is also what I talk about is like the cannabis community, like people stigmatize the community. That uh, my girl got raided on his autism um, charity night. And so all of the proceeds from uh, from the entry fees of right. of the sesh were supposed to go to charity. And a lot of and I've seen a lot of people in the industry uh, take their profits and and put it back in the community. People from the community. I think a couple of years ago, a couple of guys up in uh, Waterbury, uh, they bought 
a whole room of free toys for children and, and invited families to come and, and pick up whatever they wanted for Christmas. And so a lot of times these people are, you know, we're doing good work here and still like these things right. can happen. So uh, I definitely also, because I'm starting my business, I've been thinking more of, you know, being more strategic, but also there are still risks. Um, which I felt when the news showed up and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was that was wild. The news showed up. That, that was like, you know, I feel amazingly comfortable in those spaces because they're not like things like the news there normally. Right. And it was like they grabbed me to talk. And I really want to like, no, I don't want to yeah. talk to the news right now. But then somebody yeah. was like, well, if it's not you, it's going to be some other random person. And I was just like, I guess. But <laughs> the Massachusetts uh, sesh thing, and, and not to make this even more dark, but just so folks fully understand the powers that be, the, those raids, I can't say for certain, but I'm sure, at least in part, were supported by the cannabis industry, right? The, the licensed cannabis industry. I was a speaker at a conference that was put on by NCIA, the National Cannabis Industry Association, which is a legal cannabis industry group, uh, where they were talking about how to crack down on illicit market, illegal black market, legacy market, whatever you want to call it, um, grows in productions in ways that were not criminal, right, per se, uh, and it was a disturbing event to participate in, to say the least, right? Where I'm really listening to big business people and cops uh, and prosecutors, district attorneys, right? Kind of all coming together to stop these mean, mean home growers, right? And, you know, I had to first keep my cool because it was a very difficult space, right? But my framing there was that if all of y'all change the words criminal, or bad actors is actually what they kept trying to say, bad actors to potential entrepreneurs, how do these policies change, right? Would you start saying we're going to cut off their water and their electricity if there are future entrepreneurs, mm. right? If you were to talk about these folks, like this is a uh, startup hub, right? And the startup hub is doing things that maybe you don't like. Would you cut their internet and cut their electricity? Probably not. Right. But because we're framing these people as, you know, folks out there trying to hurt people or trying to put bad things in the drugs or what was really funny, stealing their intellectual property is what they were claiming. Right. That, you know, they invented growing weed. And so everybody else is taking their property. But it's not about logos and stuff. And the drug war 2.0 is going to be sponsored by cannabis companies. Right. Like we're going to see the cannabis industry use law enforcement to oust their competition, right? And so as we start to develop our yeah. own structures, our own processes, right? And like, how do we protect ourselves from raids? That is a, that is a fantastic point, right? Like in all these meetings, yeah. like and, and events, Kiana, like we should be like, yo, so if shit goes down, right? This is a number to call for a lawyer. This is what you should do. This is what you should run. You should not run, right? Like we do have to practice internal harm reduction about what we're doing because it is not risk-free. Uh, and those conversations come along with like, well, why would anybody do that? <laughs> right. And then it's like, well, right. because the people with all the money are telling them to do that. Right. Yep. And so we can't let it slide uh, that despite the criminal penalties being reduced, the class tensions uh, remain. Mm. Yeah, and I did notice, like, 
I would say last time, you know, uh, there was a there was an armed security guard there, and so that was pretty good. Like I was like, props, props to you. <laughs> I was yeah, like, yeah. you're doing your thing, you getting everything and stuff. But um, I I'm gonna say it's like I know you guys have your connections, but you know, it, <laughs> it could happen. It could happen. Oh, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah. How much? How how are we doing on time, guy? We're doing good on time. Three fifteen. Yeah. Okay. About four fifteen more minutes. Well, perfect. So this is this is a very educational podcast. That's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to say that that was really really dope because I I did not know that was going on. You know what I mean? I didn't know that. So my understanding was that it was just the federal, the feds coming in. You know, just being the feds and all that shit. I didn't think that it was like the actual like people that help organize and keep going that the, the, the weed market and all this stuff going on i didn't realize that they were also like a part of that as well too and i'm honestly not surprised i mean there are dea agents that work at connecticut medical facilities oh no <laughs> yeah and so it's yeah if you there was actually an article in the current or the examiner i forget exactly where it was where it is ct pharma specifically the company and if you just look up c c c sorry ct pharma dea agent security right i'm pretty sure you can pull it up uh Mm -hmm. but they have he's a part-time mayor of Berlin, Connecticut, I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, Republican against legalization. Mayor. Yeah. <laughs> and he was a DEA agent for Hartford County. And oh. now he's a security guard, security director for CT Pharma, which is one of the four growers, only four growers in the entire state of Connecticut. So mm-hmm. those four growers control the entire market in Connecticut because it's mm-hmm. both cultivation and manufacturing are one license. CT Pharma is one of them. Cure Leaf is another, which is owned by Russian billionaire Boris Jordan, who got his financial support and claim to fame uh, under Vladimir Putin when they were privatizing the fall of the Soviet Union. The another one is GTI, which is Green Thumb Industries, owned by the grandson of Jim Beam, <laughs> the the alcohol. Uh, producer right the rum runner himself uh i guess a whiskey runner he didn't do a lot of rum it's really whiskey and so you know big alcohol fame and then there it was there a plant uh but they sold their business to a guy that runs a hooters franchise uh you know group of nice. hooters. Yeah. so now now somebody that was selling <laughs> wings with sexism is going right? to be making <laughs> medicine for people that have life-threatening illness but yeah. the black and brown folks that have been helping our families get better for decades cannot. Yeah, that, that's Connecticut for you. Wow. Okay. Well, Hooters is down with the uh, the marijuana game. I think. <laughs> <laughs> they have one in Milford. They're, they're down with the one. let's get money game. <laughs> yeah, food's not really good. So, <laughs> I mean, if you gotta, you know, attach blatant sexism to your food, it's probably not that dank. You know, yeah. like. You only do that if the rest of it is trash yeah. <laughs> and you want trashy people in your establishment. <laughs> I learned that the hard way, Jason. I went there, like, let's get some wings. And I was like, oh, no, how you mess up wings? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not right. <laughs> there are kids there, too, sometimes. Like, yes. They, they bring kids there. You know what I mean? I'm just like, why are you got kids <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like you know there's only so much we can do 
And so, <laughs> you know, like, I can't, I ain't fixing Hooters, right? Like, that's beyond my power. Like, in the war on drugs, I'll try. Fixing Hooters. Oh, no. Too, too, too like, authentically American, you know, like, everything that is going on there, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, oh, yeah. like... <laughs> Oh, yeah. But yeah, but they, they control one quarter of the medicine production of cannabis production in, in Connecticut. I would love to see how that goes. They should do a documentary after that. That would be so entertaining. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, Yo, what? <laughs> I see if their buds are better than their wings. <laughs> yeah, right. But that's just money. I doubt right? it. The weed's probably trash too. Let's be real. <laughs> see, I'm not, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm afraid of. How good is the quality of the herb that's coming from here? <laughs> the cure leaf part. I didn't know that. Um, because. I bought stock from Cure Leaf. <laughs> yeah, probably a good stock to buy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah like, look oh, about wow, the- I didn't know that was Russian. <laughs> yeah, if you go to curect.nationbuilder.org, uh, mm-hmm. that's our website for our organization, Connect United for Reform and Equity. Uh, there's a link at the top, a tab at the top that says, who owns the medical industry? And it details wow. all the four growers in all their glory. <laughs> <laughs> if you well, want to call it that, yeah, they're, the, they're, they're, are, the reasons they're infamous, I guess, is the right way to say it. I'm surprised the liberals aren't pissed off by that. They probably don't know all yet, but well, <laughs> you know, this, and this is where it gets real fascinating on the like ideological spectrum because the liberals were the ones pushing it, right? Like oh, the wow. liberals, you know, and when we would think of traditional liberals as sort of moderate Democrats, right, or like barely center left in a U.S. sense and like pretty, you know, just right uh, in, in an international sense. But like Ned Lamont is what I would say be a pretty classic liberal, especially neoliberal. Right. And mm-hmm. so they saw that. And this is another like perversion of narrative, right, of why storytelling is so important. They saw it as those entities first they didn't really know the individual backgrounds because they don't care there's the money right but that those entities have proven that they can produce cannabis in a regulated way and you know it'll be fine right and so like their number one concern was can they make sure they produce cannabis in as corporate of a process as possible right like it had nothing to do with the quality of the cannabis had nothing to do with the benefits of the patients right it's just can we make sure that these folks fit in with what we're already comfortable with so we don't have to actually change anything about what we do or what we believe and we can just add more money to it right like the very classic neoliberal sense right it's like we're not gonna actually change anything that we want to do but here's a sticker right like you could have a sticker that says you're on our team is that good enough right and that's how our politics are currently happening. So the neoliberals were the strongest supporters. You know, the liberals were the strongest supporters of the four growers. Oh wow! Yeah, um, guys, I mean, y'all know, but to the audience, guys, corp- when it gets corporate, it's not good, man. Like, I don't have to be a socialist to tell you that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I will say though, HB six three seven seven, as we originally introduced it was probably the most pro-labor leftist bill that's ever been introduced as far as cannabis goes. So definitely like take a look at it, pull from it. I'd be interested. I'm always interested in what lefties would change in the language, right? Or make it stronger because while it was in in essence, you know, what people consider a messaging bill, right? But it was very much taken and pushed into the actual bill that ended up passing so the language we used a lot of it did end up in the final bill things like definitions of equity and things like that right so this idea that those kind of bills uh 
our solely messaging is not true. We actually mm-hmm. did put in and, and we fought very closely arm in arm with the labor unions to make sure labor was included in things like equity. Uh, and so right. it is right. possible to write a economically driven bill from a socialist, leftist, you know, egalitarian framing. And, and, and that's hope. That is hope. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope whoever does the next one, right, be like, man, this made Ortiz's bill look like, you know, (laughs) Silicon Valley, right? Like, that ain't left. Let me show you left, right? That's what I hope someone comes along and does that and it makes me the capitalist, right? And that's that's how we progress, right? And that the next state, wherever is the next fight, in places like maybe Hawaii, because Hawaii still hasn't legalized. It's the only Pacific region state that hasn't legalized cannabis. Really? I believe Hawaii is the opportunity to make the most pro-indigenous bill ever introduced, right? right? Like the right. issues around indigenous folks in Hawaii are dramatic. Um, and so I think yeah. as we continue, and even states that have already uh, passed, so say like or- Oregon, which already passed legalization a long time ago, and are now introducing equity-specific bills, right? Yes. And so it is a continuous process. The other cool thing about equity and cannabis is, you know, cool twist of history, right? Like we are succeeding at reparations policy, right? Yeah. And, and, and there are a lot of other industries that don't have that, right? Like they don't have equity programs in the tobacco industry, right? But you look at the tobacco industry's history and like, holy shit, right? Like that's a whole other podcast. Uh, yeah. But we, we <laughs> are showing that it's possible <laughs> to throw down, right? And be like, we are not going to pass this unless you give us what we want to start to crack the dam. Right. And so it does mean we should be introducing cooperative licensing models in these bills. Right. We should be introducing more uh, reaching into other spaces like the environmental policies or educational policies. Right. Like from the lens, because we've at least created a little window here where when we're talking about this. We have a unified language. Right. There are other states. People are trying different things. We can kind of compare and contrast. We have some pretty unified goals as far as like what are we actually trying to do, at least internally where in some of these other spaces, it's really hard. I remember one of their reps was like, well, why don't you start minorities for AI research or something like that, right? Like he attacked me for like focusing on cannabis versus like tech. And I was like, let's do it. Like, come on, I would ha- I'd be happy to do that, right? You wanna join me? You wanna help me start this? You could be the press, right? It's like, it's not that we don't do this in other sectors or that there isn't racism in other sectors. We're just winning some battles in this one. Right. Right. And, and right. so I think that's important for folks to know that, like, this is when it's time to start striking a match on your own, you know, pile of gasoline. Right. And be like, well, Connecticut did it. If, I could, if Connecticut of all states can get some equity programs, we can do it. Right. And so right. that's that's the cool thing about all the effort folks have made. And just to be 100 percent clear, it started queer black women in Oakland, California, and, and queer women of color in Oakland, California started equity. Right. And so supernova women and all the folks and some of them were straight too. I'll give them that. But, you know, most of them in leadership were were queer women. Um, But it rippled from Oakland, California, because they decided they were going to throw down for their people. And now equity is a must have in any bill across the country. Yeah. Uh, Oakland is uh, amazing. Yes, it is. A lot of a lot of fucking history there. Um, A lot. Um. Jesus, man, that is just that's dope because it's like the seed is sold. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the seed is planted. I said yep. so. Planted exactly. So now it just has to grow. Right, but now you know I planted some white widow. 
right? And now somebody else has got to advance that white widow so we can get to the next thing, right? And the next thing. <laughs> Spread it with your Jack Herrera and see what happens. <laughs> I'm definitely like pro social equity, but I do definitely think when we do promote social equity, we do have like an extra responsibility to make sure the communities that we're bringing in are going to be, you know, we're not just selling them an ideal of what a cannabis right. industry can be. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because there are businesses that don't make it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. so I, I yeah. feel like sometimes with social equity, we sell a utopia of social equity and people don't really recognize what actually is taking place and also with the mm. over regular like the over regularization that takes place is yeah. that that's why there is illicit markets because if you're getting into social equity you are going to have to run your business pretty corporately you're going to have to make sure your documentation's on point you have got to make sure you're going to have to have that team of lawyers because if you get audited uh you're screwed and if you um i know if you're working with food uh you're making food production you also got the um, FDA in, in your building too. And so also now all these other entities are involved. And so um, I think with social equity, uh, I think it's good. I think it's good that it lowers the barriers to entry in a legalized market. But I think uh, there are some real risks uh, for, especially for uh, marginalized communities in this industry that, um, we need to make sure either we're protecting people or putting protections into place for them. Mm. Um, and another thing I really do want to see is uh, more programs for low-income uh, people, consumers um, who can't afford medicine. Um, I know there, that can also branch into cannabis in the nonprofit sector, which is mm -hmm. something that we can start thinking about now. Um, and I know people in the CT Canna Warriors group has been thinking about. Um, and so more uh, programs for low income and people with disabilities, because if you live on disability, you're living on $700, $800 a month, and you don't get any more money than that. And so um, these things definitely also we need to think about as well uh, when, when we're talking about social equity. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes to all of that. Uh, and, you know, the nonprofit conversation is a really interesting one right now. Right. As far as how do we really benefit our communities? Because nonprofit doesn't mean like no economic activity. Right. It means that you're reinvesting it into your mission. And right. so you can hire people and you can provide products and provide services and provide cannabis for free and figure out the economics of it where it's not charity right that that it's solidarity and mm. still keep money flowing and so it, it makes sense with folks and so i'm really like interested in that right and like the co-op model uh and then also here's the other big thing like at the end of the day folks that enter the social equity space are competing with these multi-billion dollar companies and the only way like they can't uh right like they can only try to create a niche market for themselves right when it comes to capitalism uh those with the capital are always going to have the biggest product and they'll be able to just buy people out right and mm -hmm. so the idea that the number one way that we can keep them in check is to give it away for free right like cure leaf and all these folks cannot exploit patients if we just give it to them for free 
And so there are, I think, both like social justice and economic, like social equity reasons why we should consider a serious campaign to just give the shit away for free. Uh, and, and I think long term, it's going to help us, even those that sell cannabis, right? Because of the dynamics where the people that need to get it for free are not generally going to be the folks that you're competing with for anyone that's selling on the streets, right? Like those folks are very isolated, generally speaking, right? They're not folks that are going to parties and that's where they find a dude and they get it, right? It's someone that's in a wheelchair, right? Can't really leave their house, but they can make it once a month to go to the dispensary and spend way more money than they want to, right? right. If that somebody met them on the way and they got an ounce on the way to the dispensary and got it for free, that person, you know, would change their life. You've been doing it for one month, right? Because of the cost. We're talking like a rent payment when it comes to like patients, right? And so mm-hmm. I, I do agree that the, the unlicensed market, we have a lot of possible strategic options, right? As far as how to organize each other that is non-competitive, right? As far as like let people who sell on weed sell it, right? Like it's not really about stopping that. Um, it's how do we create the ecosystem for our folks that we can thrive regardless of whatever these folks are gonna do, right? And that we can limit any of us dependence on them, right? Because there's real, we have current, there is a current dependence, right? That we have to figure out how we can do it. And one way to do it is give it away for free. <laughs> and I know as somebody yeah. that, you know, is entering the industry in lots of different ways, right? It's very like counterproductive, personally speaking. Uh, but I do think, and I've learned from some of these bigger businesses like Walmart and stuff, right? Where you come in and you do something that sets the stage for the next better spot, right? And that's where it is in our interest, right? To sacrifice a little now to seed the ground in a way that creates a much more robust uh, ecosystem later. Nice. Yeah, that's amazing. This is all amazing. I'm I'm so happy that y'all guys were on here. <laughs> this is really dope. And I hope people that watch this get a very good idea of what's going on and, 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 and get inspired. Honestly, this is all about just continuing the movement and continuing everything we can do to just make this place a better place <laughs> in america and the belly of the goddamn beast that's the only thing that we can't do you know what i mean like and um so i don't want to take up anybody else's time um we're an hour in uh, i know you guys got a lot of shit you got to get to <laughs> and stuff like that so i want to thank you all so much for coming out um if last final I'll just words say one last thing would, yes yes last final words with you too yes. final words it's important to end on this <laughs> everything that happened in connecticut in the most unequal inequitable state in the country we got some progress all of it was grassroots funded Every single penny came from like myself or the folks in the Cannon Warriors. We actually did a GoFundMe to get the billboard. We had zero dollars from any of these big organizations or any of these big nonprofits either, to be honest, that we weren't personally related to. So if we can do it, me, Kiana, Kibra, Lou Vega, Raphael, you know, like mm. all the different people that were part of this, Joe, Cody, another Joe, Paul, right? Like <laughs> it was a rainbow coalition of poor people, right? right. That were like fuck them. Uh, we're going to demand what we want and we're going to work together. And it wasn't always easy, right? Of course. Right. But, you know, like if we can get it together and do what we did here in Connecticut, I think, you know, anyone that's listening at home, like can definitely put the same thing in motion. And it's very possible to win things for each other. And as long as we fight, we have a better chance of winning.
Yeah, I'll just say shout out to the CT Canna Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> and students for shout out. SSDP, SSDP.org. But yo, that was a Facebook group that we all put together because we were tired of people whining about shit not doing anything. It's like the most influential <laughs> Facebook group I've ever been a part of. Like, it, that changed law in Connecticut, no doubt about it. So, shout out to Facebook. That's amazing. Group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll also amazing. say that I've been trying to do some organizing for my business that 10% of it goes to a Q BIPOC cannabis fund that will then distribute. Uh, just money for people to buy cannabis because I've nice. been there as a person who's chronically ill. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been there, so I definitely want to give back. Um, and so I think a lot of people should be thinking about this and also think about how many people in the community, we're just doing our best to give back and, right. and you know, help our communities. Oh, yes, definitely. A lot of, a lot of good stuff. I want to thank you all for coming out and making this podcast a special episode right here and shouts out to everybody that did this work every last one of y'all a lot of fucking work that got done you literally just did it during a damn pandemic that's the craziest part like it's a pandemic and y'all out here getting way we legalized in a damn pandemic (laughs) that is absolutely amazing like (laughs) so have a really good day. Everyone have a good day. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Everybody has been watching. Have a good day. And- go go defund your local police department. Hell yeah. <laughs> 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 Kingdom and his righteousness to him who carries.